0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro Podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching.
1: Good morning, everyone. I love the fellowship. It's great. Good morning. My name is Cameron, and I'm fairly new here, but I had the privilege this morning of getting to read our scripture, hopefully without an echo. So um, if you want to turn with me or just, I think it's on the screen, potentially behind me. Um, We're going to read Luke 1, verse 46 through 56. And uh, so we'll dive in. And Mary said... He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Fantastic.
0: Well, dear friends, it is good to see you all this morning. Uh, if I've never met you before, my name is Spencer, and I have the privilege and honor to be one of the pastors here at United City. And I'm thrilled that you're here with us this morning and uh, looking forward to our time of dedication of babies. We have a whole squad. We have a basketball team we're developing uh, here today that will be dedicated later on uh, this, during this service today. Um, It's really neat to see you all here with us, to see extended family come on a Thanksgiving weekend, because with the nature of a young church, a lot of our young community goes home to see their family for Thanksgiving weekend. So it's really neat to see kind of that switch happen this weekend. So I'm thrilled that you're here. I hope you feel welcomed. I hope that you feel a sense of hospitality, a sense of love, a sense of home. And uh, I hope you enjoy today. My hope and desire at the end of today isn't that you just came to support your grandson or your niece or your nephew or whatever it may be, but that you actually are changed and transformed by the reality of a risen King Jesus, that when we push into the Advent season, we are celebrating his arrival in the incarnation, as well as his second coming that is soon to happen. Uh, Also, thank you for letting Jordan and I step aside for a few weeks. In case you didn't know, my wife and I just had a newborn baby. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. I'm sleep deprived, but it's okay. I'm here. Um, But thanks for letting us take a few weeks away to adjust as best we can to having a a newborn baby in our home. My wife is amazing. She's a wonderful mother. She's learning how to do it. I'm trying to figure out how to be a dad. Um, But it's been a a roller coaster for sure. And people ask me, like, how's it it going? And I'm like, do you really want to (laughs) know? do you really? I'm like, I can say good, but it's hard. Okay. It's challenging. There's a lot of laundry, a lot of spit up, you know, it's just what it is. But we, um, Jordan and I both, we we so love this family. We so love this community. Um, We love all of you so, so much. We um, are thankful for you. We are thankful to journey with you in the way of Jesus, pursuing renewal. And we are here for you. And we're thankful that we get the chance to step aside and have leaders who can be uh, raised up to lead while we are away for a few weeks. Um, Here at United City, our our mission and our heartbeat and our purpose is very simple. And it is to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. And when we practice the ways and teachings of Jesus, we are able to see new life spring forth in our broken society. And that is our call, that's our desire, that we are disciples of Jesus who are uh, with Jesus, who are becoming like Jesus and who do what Jesus did here and now by the power of the holy spirit we are captivated by and living by the agape sacrificial love of jesus and if there's one thing i want you to remember today it is that jesus so loved you from the beginning of time that he entered into the human story as the protagonist to provide healing and restoration and renewal for souls that are broken, that are anxious, that are fearful. And He offers that salvation and healing and restoration to all of you here today. Uh, today marks the beginning of the liturgical calendar and the season known as Advent. Now, some of you see these poinsettias and you're like, oh, this is like childhood I'm going back to my childhood in some traditional church where we had the poinsettias up front. You know, We did the liturgical thing. Um, but I actually read up on some of the history behind the poinsettia and why it's brought forth during the season. It's, a, a, it's a, a flower that represents birth. It also symbolizes the Star of David with the flowers. I just thought it was beautiful. And Lowe's had a good deal on them. So I was like, let's bring them in. Come on. Um, but some of you maybe didn't grow up in liturgical traditions, but I feel like it's important for us as a community to orient ourselves around the liturgical Christian calendar that connects us with the global church. Advent actually marks the Christian New Year. So for us as the people of God, today is our New Year. It's not January 1, it is today. It marks a brand new year for us as the people. And I want you to know, friends and family, it is not yet Christmas. I don't care what Mix 99.5 says. It's not Christmas yet. Christmas begins on December 25th, and it lasts for 12 days. It's referred to as Christmas Tide. That's why we sing the song, The 12 Days of Christmas. Why? Because Christmas is a season that begins on December 25th. Right now is the season of Advent, and it's the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas and the actual celebration of the arrival of Christ. Christmas means Christ mass or Christ celebration. And so my hope for us is that in this time and season, we are able to press deep into the Advent season. We recognize the Christian calendar for two primary reasons, and it does two primary things. I want you to hear this. The first thing, and we recognize the Christian calendar, is that it reminds us that life is cyclical and seasonal. Those of us growing up in the West, we tend to view life in a linear progression. But the reality is, coming from an Eastern tradition, an Eastern faith, life is much more cyclical and seasonal than it is linear or progressive. And the second thing is that this calendar, I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Jesus loves you too. I love it. See, I can, I can empathize now with you. My, my baby's asleep right now, praise God. You better stay asleep too, young youngin, okay? <laughs> so this, this Christian calendar reminds us that life is cyclical and seasonal. It's not just linear. A linear view of life actually produces anxiety and fatigue. The second thing is that the Christian calendar and liturgical calendar reclaims time to be oriented around the story of Jesus. It orients us around the story of Jesus. Not the secular notion of the self or our own individual pursuits, but it actually orients us around the story of Jesus. We go from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany Tide which is the manifestation of Christ as king and the divine one. We then go into Lent, preparing for Easter. Then we move into the Easter season. And then we move into Pentecost. And then we move into kingdom tide or ordinary time, as some might say. In fact, last last week, all across the world, was celebrated what's called the feast of Christ the king. That Christ is the creator and ruler and king over all creation. And now we jump back in to Advent. It's this beautiful cyclical notion, and it reclaims time to be oriented around the story of Jesus. You want to know the gospel? Orient yourself around the liturgical calendar. The origins of Advent, most scholars believe, date back to at least the fourth century. So you're talking about a time and season that's been recognized for about 1700 years. This is not just a 50-year-old tradition in the church. This is is 1,700 years of celebrating the Advent season. It comes from this Latin word, adventus, which means arrival. Advent means coming. It means arrival. And historically, it is the recognition of Christ's coming in the incarnation, as well as looking forward to his second coming. In fact, historically in the church, it's not just about the incarnation. It's also about his second coming. In fact, if you read the lectionary right now, the passages have to do with his second coming, the day of the Lord. It has a dual meaning, his coming in the incarnation and the fact that we are sitting in an in-between space right now of his second coming. And we wait and we long and we expect with anticipation his arrival. Dr. Charlie Dates says, we have a God who came, praise God. He came to make the intangible touchable and the invisible visible. He came to make himself knowable. But our hope is not just that he came. It is also that he is coming. You can say amen. I know y'all grow up in the Church of the Chosen Frozen, but you can have some like Excitement about the coming of Christ Jesus in a dark world. and need it. see, come on. Some of you like, I'm still full. Like I can't even move from Thanksgiving. Whatever we face, Date says, we know he's coming back. This season, as I mentioned a second ago, is one of waiting, longing, and reflection. I want you to slow down in the Advent season. You might be visiting today and I may never see you again. And I'm glad I did today. But I want you to slow down during this Advent season. It is a season also of repentance and fasting. It actually mirrors Lent. It's a season of repentance. What Rich Velotas calls weight training. I love that. W-A-I-T, weight training, is what Advent is. As a community, my charge to us and you can practice this too if you're not a part of our immediate church family, is that on Wednesdays during the Advent season leading up to Christmas, we will fast. We will fast. We will starve ourselves so that we long for the reality of Christ in his presence. So my charge to you, for Jordan and I, we will not eat any meat on Wednesday at all. We'll fast for meat altogether. And my charge to our community is that we engage in a fast on every Wednesday during the Advent season. You could go vegetarian the whole time. That's totally okay. My charge is that you press into the fast as we sit in the Advent season. Each week, when we gather together, we will light a symbolic and thematic candle that speaks to four distinct themes. Hope, joy, love, and peace. This is also something you can do at home. Get four candles with your family. Get a wreath And each week leading up to the arrival of Christ the King on Christmas, light a candle with your family, symbolically representing these themes. And on Christmas Eve, which, by the way, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service here. Yes, we are. It's going to be at 530, Christmas Eve. That's the hope. We're going to gather here, have a candlelight service, and we're going to light the Christ candle. It's the final candle. It's the fifth candle of the Advent season. I'm really pumped about that. I've wanted to have a Christmas Eve service for a long time. I'm becoming traditional. as The older I get, I don't know what it is. I've got a sport coat on. What is going on? You know? Um, But I'm pumped and, and looking forward to that. The theologian Fleming Rutledge says that Advent begins in the dark. Henry Nowen says it gets darker and darker until the light of Christ arrives. And as we light each candle, we will move ever so closely from the darkness and into his glorious light. A, a light that moves in is dynamic. Where we acknowledge that the light of the world has come in Christ Jesus. And that light is the life of all mankind. A hope that points to a "there'll be no darkness in the new Jerusalem. And so today, we light the hope candle. Hope is not wishful thinking or optimism. Hope is rooted in a past promise based on observations of the past. It isn't just wishful thinking. It is clinging to a promise based on what has already happened. And so would you close your eyes and I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I'm going to light the hope candle as we move into the Advent season, clinging to the hope of Christ Jesus, that in his incarnation, in his arrival, and in his coming, and in his second coming, we have hope. That in the midst of darkness, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of despair, we have hope. That even if we are hopeless, it still acknowledges that we have hope. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that you came and that you are coming again. We thank you for who you are, for your salvation, for your goodness. You invite us into eternal life, a life that we all long for. And you come to be with us. You are Emmanuel. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I feel like I can preach in this coat today. Like this is, I feel, I I think this has shoulder pads in it. Like this is wild. Anyway, it's it's my grandfather's, so we're calling it vintage. It's cool. We are sitting in Luke 1, verses 46 through 48a today. I'm going to reread these verses for you, okay? So hopefully you have a Bible with you. We encourage that. Not just your phone, but actual Bible. If you have your phone, that's okay. There's no judgment. We encourage you to get a Bible. We have one for free out front if you need one after the gathering. Verses 46 through 48a. I'm going to read these again for us. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Growing up, I spent a lot of time going to see musicals and theatrical productions. A couple dozen, I would say, growing up. And it was because my brother, who's here today, was very active in community theater. So I know the whole theater thing. Like, I get the lingo. I know how it works. I know all the different things. I've been to the shows. I get it. I grew up in this environment, seeing my brother perform. I've seen shows like Oliver, I've seen Newsies, I've seen Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, I've seen Big, I've seen Sound of Music, etc. I've seen all these shows. And at the beginning of every musical, most every musical, is what is known as the overture. The word overture means opening, and it is where the orchestra plays through various pieces of the show before the curtain is raised. Some of you know what I'm talking about if you've been to a show. Now that we have Tanger Center, you can go experience Broadway here in Greensboro. It's wonderful. So they have this time of music being played by the orchestra for a few minutes before the curtain is raised. And I saw one super sarcastic definition of an overture online and it said, a call for people to take their seats and shut up. I thought that was pretty good. What about you? It works every time. An overture sets the tone. It sets the tone for the entire show. It introduces you to and foreshadows the themes, sounds, and emotions of the proceeding musical that you're about to experience. It has a way of capturing your imagination and drawing you into the ensuing story. It redirects, I love this part, it redirects the entire audience's attention from their own individual story and conversation and into a collective story in which they will all enter into. What happens in the overture? Everyone sits down and they shut up and they all look at the same spot on the stage. This passage in Luke chapter 1 serves as the overture of Luke's entire gospel account. It serves as the opening. It is the only gospel writing where we see songs or psalms ushering us into the story of Jesus, giving us a glimpse into the creative writing style of Luke, who some argue, by the way, to be the artist of the New Testament. Gentile, by the way best writer of the New Testament. He is a creative, he's thoughtful, he's intellectual, and he's a Gentile, by the way. And he writes this account and opens it with a couple of different songs, the first being this one we read this morning. You know, song, art, and story have a way of shaping us and transforming us in ways that a teaching and instruction can't that mere facts will not do. Why? Because music, song, art, and story captures our imagination. It captures our mind. Beauty draws on every faculty of the human heart, soul, and body. You ever listen to a song, you get cold chills? You ever watch the movie and you feel like you're in the movie? It calls you into it. Or you finish a series on Netflix and you feel like your life is over. You know? Like you just finish Lost and you're like, what just happened? You know? I'm not trying to spoil it for you. We are so drawn in by story and art and beauty and song. I remember going to the uh, Museum of Modern Art in New York over the summer with my wife and I was captivated by all these pieces of art. People are there to see Starry Night by Van Gogh, this small piece of art, and people are gathered all around taking pictures as if this is the most important moment of their life to see this small little painting. Sure, it takes this depiction of stars in the sky that we see every night, but something about that starry night image draws us in, does it not? Even though it's the same reality every night. Beauty, art, and story change us. It transforms us. And Luke is intentional in drawing us in with this overture. My uh, dear friend Matt Leroy, Josh's brother, makes this statement that songs are a means of expressing the heart when mere words won't do the trick. I Love that. And these few verses uh, might be new to many of you. You may have never read Luke 1, verses 46 through 56. And I actually read a line where 43% of churchgoers said they had never heard these verses taught on in their church. So that means roughly half of you have never heard of these verses before. This psalm is referred to as the Magnificat. The Magnificat. It is Latin for uh, magnify. It's also referred to as Mary's song. It's the longest amount recorded of a female or a woman voice in the New Testament given to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, those of us who grew up in the Protestant tradition, we have denigrated Mary. While those who grew up in the the Roman Catholic tradition have venerated her, we have denigrated her to extremes. And it's been to extremes on both ends of the theological spectrum. We need to recapture the power and the beauty of this faithful woman, the first prophet we see in the New Testament. It's not John the Baptist, it's Mary. Read the text. We have to remember who this woman is. Mary's just been told by an angel, which no big deal, you know, angel shows up, that she will be impregnated with the Son of God by the Holy Spirit through what's called immaculate conception. Hello. Life change, right? Talk about Jerry Springer, okay? The DNA results are in. You're pregnant. We don't know how. It's the Holy Spirit. And instead of fear and fright, Mary responds in worship, servitude, expectation, and even excitement. Mary is probably 12 or 13 years old, and she's excited about this. What? I just had a child. I'm scared to death. And I had it in the most natural way possible. This is immaculate conception. The Son of God, born to you, this little poor farm girl who grew up in Nazareth, a town of 200. It's like growing up in Ruffin in Rockingham County. You know, Mary's from Ruffin. You know, some of you are like, where's Ruffin? Exactly. (laughs) Right? Mary, carrying the Son of God. She responds in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Listen to that tone of expectation, that tone of excitement. May your word be fulfilled. Like she's like, let's do this thing, Yahweh. Let's do it. I'm your servant. I'm here to serve. Let's do it. May your word to me be fulfilled. She then travels 100 miles uphill without four-wheel drive. She ain't got no four-wheel drive, okay? No Tahoe, no forerunner, no truck. She's going probably on a donkey with Joseph a hundred miles uphill to visit her aging cousin, Elizabeth, in the Judean hillside. Another faithful follower of Yahweh who will soon bear John the Baptist. Elizabeth pours out encouragement and comforting words on her. And then Mary responds with this rich, deep, thoughtful, prophetic and dare I say, revolutionary song. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, the Magnificat is one of the most famous songs in Christianity. It's been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight, and set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. It's the gospel before the gospel. A fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. Mary's song, friends, is one of praise, of promise, and prophecy. It has elements of all three, praise, promise, and prophecy. And she speaks, she worships Yahweh. She clings to the promises of Yahweh and she speaks the things of Yahweh prophetically. Verse 46, the first few words captivated me this week in looking at this text. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord. The word soul in the Greek is the word suke and is where we get our word psychology from. And often it is referred to as the mind, the cognitive mind. But that isn't the fullness of it in its original etymology. It is actually referencing the totality of the human person. The entire life, mind, body, and spirit. You might call the the psyche or the suke the engine of the person. All of us have a soul. We have this engine within us, that which is animated, that which has personality. All of us have a personality. Some of you are introverted. Some of you are extroverted. Some of you love music. Some of you hate music. Some of you like sports. Some of you like to read. Some of you like the outdoors. Some of you like, I don't do camping, okay? We all have a personality. The soul is what makes us human. The philosopher Dallas Willard, defining the soul, says the soul encompasses and organizes the whole person interrelating all the other dimensions of the self so that they form one functioning, or for one person functioning in a flow of life. It's like the computer that runs a business in the background. Mary's entire being, her whole essence, the fullness of her life exists to glorify, praise, magnify and exalt or lift up Yahweh, the Lord. Not just God in title, abstractly, but the Lord Yahweh, the one whom she is in total submission to. To say Lord means that I belong to you. Total surrender to, total obedience to. She gives him complete and utter praise and worship with her whole life her whole soul, and literally her body. Not only does she magnify him with her entire being, but her spirit also rejoices in God, her Savior. Even she knows that she is in need of salvation. Sometimes the words spirit and soul are interchangeable, but they are different Greek words, okay? Okay. You're all going to become Greek scholars today. You will. And you're like, I'm never coming back ever again. (laughs) The Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma. And it means breath. Or that which animates the soul. Remember I said that the soul is that which is animated. But the spirit is that which animates the soul. Breath of life. Remember how humanity was formed out of the dust. And then what happened? The breath of life breathed, and it animated a soul. It is the gas for the engine, you might say. It is what fills our soul, the spirit. Not only does her soul glorify or magnify God, but her very spirit rejoices in God as her savior, her redeemer, her defender, her healer. The idea of rejoicing means literally to jump or to spring up like water from underneath the earth. When we rejoice, we should move. It should engage our whole body. To rejoice literally means to jump. You ever had something happen where you're like, I gotta jump, I gotta scream, I gotta shout, I'm thrilled, I'm pumped. I'm a state fan. And Friday night, in Jesus' name, the Tar Heels went down. We finally had one bounce to us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I jumped and rejoiced in excitement. That's something. I saw a stadium erupt yesterday with the Michigan-Ohio State game. Looked like a national championship. It's a football game, and we can't get excited about the resurrected King Jesus. We can't be moved with the reality of a divine king who enters into the mess of humanity and calls us to be with him in intimacy. Tell me why we can't move. Tell me why we can't rejoice. You're like, well, I'm just, I'm quiet. I see you get excited in front of the television. I see you listen to your favorite songs from growing up back in the day. You can move. Get excited. Rejoice. Mary's spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. True worship friends. True worship engages every faculty of the human being, mind, spirit, and body. If your mind's not captivated, your spirit's not captivated, your body's not captivated, it's not true worship. It has to encapsulate the whole being. And as a season of reflection during Advent, during this time, I want all of you, again, if you're just visiting, that's fine. I'm still charging you to do deep examination in your life to see where you might have compartmentalized your worship. Or rather, if your whole life is in actual surrendered worship to Yahweh, because some of us, it's lip service to Yahweh. Our whole body, mind, and spirit is not engaged. We're going through the cultural motions We have a cognitive understanding of the reality of Jesus. But we haven't been moved in a posture of worship. And I want this season, friends, to be one of rejoicing. I want all of you to rejoice. I want you to shout. Some of y'all are like, I'm not charismatic. That's okay. I want you to be moved. I want you to experience the reality of the supernatural power of God. I want you to experience it. In the midst of darkness and uncertainty, may we rejoice because of the hope we have in Jesus. I don't know how some people do it. I really don't. People walking in darkness, depression, anxiety, frustration, sickness, despair, without a hope in Jesus, without a hope in the reality of a divine being who became human, who came to us, I don't know how they do it. Please show me the way. We have hope, and I want us to reflect on that this season. God is our Savior and Redeemer. He has come to save, to be our rescuer, our defender, and most importantly, as I said a second ago, our healer. The Eastern Orthodox understanding of salvation is one of healing. And let's be honest, some of you in this room, you need deep healing. Healing. Some of you had trauma that happened four or five decades ago. You haven't healed. You've suppressed, and now you're calloused and bitter and in denial and walking in disillusionment and disenchantment, and you need to revisit that pain and enter into it. God does. God enters into the pain. He wants to heal you, but you have to go through the pain to be healed. Mary goes on to say that the Yahweh has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That God, this is important. This stood out to me in the text in studying this week. That God is aware. God is mindful. He is cognizant. He is sensible. You know, ancient Greeks simply thought of God as an unaware and impersonal creator of the world. This would be what is referred to as deism. If you go read about Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. A deist is simply someone who believes in the existence of a supreme being, but that the creator does not intervene at all in the universe. It's impersonal. That's deism. But that's not what Mary says. Mary says that he is mindful of his humble servant. Mary shows that this is not so. He is aware. Yahweh is cognizant, and he's aware even today of your brokenness. He's aware of your struggle. He's aware of your challenge. He's aware of your bitterness. He's aware of your sin. He's aware of your pride. He's aware of your ego. He's aware of your anxiety. He's aware of your depression. He's aware of all of it. He is cognizant. To to be mindful here in the original language literally means that he has turned his eyes upon her. He looked at her. He gazed at her to see her in her lowly state as well as you. I want you to know, friends, today, Jesus of Nazareth, seated at the right hand of the Father, sees you. You can't hide from him in good and bad. He's aware. He calls with an invitation into the path of healing. The journey. Dr. Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist, says, We come out of the womb looking for someone looking for us. Mmm, I heard something, mmm, that's good. We're not looking to know if we're doing the right thing, we're looking for someone looking for us. That's what our brain is doing. This is a psychiatrist in the DC area. We want to be seen, we want to be known. We want someone to be aware of us in our situation, in our life, in our circumstance. And guess what? When you might feel like no one is, that your deadbeat dad's not aware, or your your strung out mom's not aware, of your emotionally insensitive family is not aware, Yahweh's aware. And he invites you into a space of intimacy where healing can take place. He says, I want to know you. And this path you're on, I know you think it's good. Baby girl, it's not. I want to heal you. He wants to call us into, he wants you to know that you are seen. The last few weeks, Georgie in trying to mother our baby girl, when she starts crying, she always says these few words. She says, Selah, I hear you and I see you. And I want you to know the day that when we look at Advent season, we see a God who says, I hear you. And I see you. And I've come to you. And I'm coming again one day. My hope during the Advent season that you would get caught up in the beauty of the story of the incarnation, that God became flesh. That in a season known for Christmas carols, that you would sit in the original Christmas carol that prophesies of the cosmological revolution launched by Jesus of Nazareth. The one that prophesies the ultimate renewal of all things. And I want to close with these few questions for you to ponder as we move into our time of dedicating these beautiful babies, which, by the way, isn't it not amazing that God enters into the human story as a baby, dependent upon humanity? Here's a few questions for you. What is it that captivates your imagination this Advent? When was the last time you had a sense of wonder and all? That's one of the beautiful things about children. They have an imagination. Jesus says we can't enter the kingdom without becoming like a child. Why? They have an imagination. They see beauty. What is it that captivates your imagination? The second question is, what is it that animates your soul? What is it that's animating your soul? Is it your pride, or your ego, or is it the spirit as a humble servant submitting to him? What is it that animates your soul? What type of spirit dwells within you? Third question is, what is it that you are giving your life to? What made you get up this morning? We all give our lives to something or someone. What is it that you are giving your life to? I want you to ponder and reflect on these three questions today. <laughs>